and welcome. Welcome to Sports Plus Show with Big D Baker and Joe and special guest Michelle. And uh, I did play the, the uh, uh, fun drive uh, liner again because last week was fun dr drive. And if you didn't get a chance to donate to this great station, please consider it. Uh, very simple. You go to valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. All right. So uh, um, my name is Big D. Uh, I'm from the studio in Florence. Uh, Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Here I am one more time uh, from the Zoom, the amazing Zoom meeting here in Western Mass. Yeah. And then, Joe, you're out there on the left coast. It actually looks like you got this dark background, like you're outside and you look bundled <laughs> all up. You know, are you sitting out in the uh, backyard? <laughs> no, uh, it went down to 37 degrees last night. I wasn't quite prepared for it, so I left the heat down. And this room in the, is in the far reaches of the house. It does not get the heat very well, especially when the doors close. So I hopefully we'll be able to lose the hat in a minute, but it's about 50 degrees <laughs> in here right now. But. And then here, let me introduce our special guest, which is my good friend, Michelle. She is um, an extremely accomplished uh, vegan cook and <laughs> and and uh also is a dance instructor uh in new york city that a lot of like a lot of artists is finding it impossible to work in this uh covid climate um but but and then again she's also one other thing she has in common with me is she's a homer so like i'm a homer <laughs> for the boston teams she's a uh a homer for the minnesota teams oh. Leading but, purple. <laughs> but i have to complain about the Mi minnesota purdue game i just want no, to you no, no complaints daryl this was a great game <laughs> no purdue yes go gophers at the at the end of that purdue game they scored a touchdown that was, you know, called back by a fan. Are you talking penalty. about the push off by the Purdue player there that was, was offensive no pass defense? Yeah. Oh, there was a push off, my friend. Get those glasses checked. So right in the end this zone. Is this is Michelle. So Michelle, go ahead and give us a little back background knowledge. You people can already tell that you're like the rest of us, very opinionated. <laughs> and that's nah. a good thing. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I, I have met Daryl through mutual friends in teaching. So to talk about sports and other things, I have kind of a, a really varied background. I myself am on the uh, ballroom dance sport circuit, which goes all around the world, sort of like a golf or a tennis tour, um, but isn't going very, very far right now. So <laughs> I've been planted here in Western Mass, basically homesteading during the pandemic. Um, with our, with my partner, uh, Greg, who's also a, a teacher and knows Daryl really well through the education system here. Um, yeah, and I, I found it like just my own personal experience during the pandemic. It's sports has been an interesting sort of conundrum for me because it's, you know, it's wonderful to watch it and it's horrifying thinking that people are, you know, putting themselves at risk and many of the things you guys were discussing last week. So it's been kind of in and out for me, but I'm enjoying the football season and it's nice to see certainly both of my home teams kind of uh, getting getting with it, shall we say, and playing some better ball both on the college and the pro side. So thanks for having me today. <laughs> All right. Well, thank Michelle, you. I want to I want to mention quickly. So one of my college roommates is actually one of the coaches for the uh, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. Oh, really? Who? Uh, Joe Harris-Simiak. 
Oh, wow. That's so cool. I think, yeah, I think he's the DB's coach, but, um, so I, I've been following his career. He was, he coached at Springfield college. Then he went over to UMaine. He was the head coach there for a few years. And then, um, he, he went over to Minnesota. And so I've been following them and, and I have to say, and, and I'm drawing a blank on the head coach's name, uh, PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck. Yeah. Yeah. PJ Fleck. And so I, I was reading a story about him last year. Um, with him bringing on that place kicker. Yep. Um, who uh, he was going on his fourth battle with cancer or, or, or something yeah. like that. And just that story. And I'm like, you know what? Sold. I'm a Minnesota fan. I, oh, so I remember that. that story. That was and a beautiful story. Yeah. PJ Fleck, Coach Fleck just seems to be the type of coach that has his way of how he wants to run his program and is not going to waver for, for, you know, the wins and losses, he's going to do it the right way and he's going to get his wins the right way. And so I, I respect coaches who do that. And I think we, we might be talking a little bit about some coaches who maybe don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. In the SEC or something like that, you know, but so I, I've got to say, but all that, I, I did see the highlight of that, pass interference last night and ooh, i don't know i don't know so whose side are you on them, are you on my my side uh that purdue got jobbed or yeah, yeah. i kind of sorry michelle sorry he pushed off you can't push off that's pass interference, <laughs> off. That's pass interference. I, yeah you have to look really hard to see that push off i mean like Darryl. really hard i didn't have to look very hard there this sounds like one of those it was kind of cheating but not high level cheating got, like it was a probably, push off but kind of not a high level push off you heard michelle last week i had to apologize for my um under describing the uh, red sox scandal uh, <laughs> but it was a very half-hearted apology you know and then quickly went off the cliff and right and they, they clearly saw, saw through me <laughs> So, uh, Joe, so what do you want to get into today? I mean, we can stay in college football first if you want, or what do you think? I think, you know, I, I think the most hectic thing we have to talk about is the the compressed NBA offseason. I mean, Whoa. I almost don't want to go too deep into it because there's so much that's going to happen between now and next week. I feel like we should maybe save some of the stuff for next week. But one of the things you brought up in our little text exchange throughout the week was what's going on with the Rockets. And it's interesting because we, we always have this battle between – player empowerment and team direction and is the do we favor the, the league in these situations or the players and you know I, I will always favor player movement player empowerment so if James Harden decides that he wants to go somewhere else and Russell West, Russell Westbrook wants to play in New York they should they should be accommodated and I I, I, I can't believe it's 2020 and we still get these same plantation type arguments that the players should just be grateful to be making this money and they should stay and play wherever they're stuck. So let me jump. Uh, uh, <laughs> Are you going to take the owner's side, Matt? Is that what's no, going to no, happen here? Here's what it is. Here, I'm taking the fans side and, and it's, it, it is sports and it is a, it is a business and it is entertainment, but you as a fan, how I think the NBA is, is really going to have a problem down the road because as a fan, how do you attach yourself to anything? If all it's going to take, I, I have less of a problem with James Harden saying, I'm out, right? Trade me. 
I have more of a problem with him saying, trade me to this team. And I don't like that NBA players, when they still have three years left on their contract that they signed, that they're like, eh, eh, I'm done with this team. And I want to go to this team to make a powerhouse. He wants to partner up with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And as a fan, what's wrong with that? That would be the most entertaining team <laughs> in basketball it's, history. To me, no, I, I want I want competition. I want players. I don't want players to say, "Well, it's too hard for me to win in in Houston, so I want to go where it's easier." I just, it's a, I don't know. It, for me, it's a bad look. I, I don't like the idea that at any given moment, again, as a fan, at any given moment, any superstar in the league can make a phone call to their superstar buddy and say, hey, where do you want to go next year? Well, I, I got what two, is that? two I got two points. One, I think we all we've all agreed that the NBA is at its peak. Like the 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 competition in the NBA is fantastic. You get we get new teams in the mix every year. We had Miami, who was a five seed, make it to the finals. So in that respect, I think, you know, there's there's not that worry is out the window. And on the fan side, I think what we're seeing now, and I'm sure if you ask any 15-year-old NBA fan, they're maybe not necessarily a fan of the Warriors or the Bucks. They're a fan of Giannis Antetokounmpo or LeBron James or James Harden, and they'll root for whatever team James Harden is on. And I think that's the difference between us old people and you know younger but, people. So I, I actually I agree to that. I do think fans attach themselves to the player, but I, I, there is something to be said for your homegrown team, right? Like Michelle, Minnesota, you're a Minnesota fan and, and who comes to Minnesota, that's who you root for. And if all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know if you're an NBA fan, the Timberwolves don't have much to, uh, Oh no, all they have, no they're coming back. First draft pick this year. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but that's a perfect example. We brought Kevin Garnett there and he sat there rusting away growing cobwebs until he finally went to Boston because we can't pay the players. But that's another, you know, to your point, if we allow the, the players to make these entitled decisions, you know, where is the loyalty? Where where do we hold them accountable to saying, I am going to commit myself to this team, to this city, to this fan base for X amount of time? Do we just allow them to go go wherever? they want and let's be honest there are only a handful of markets that can pay, pay for that kind of a superstar team to all be together and isn't that what the all-star game is supposed to be about <laughs> these oh, are all great points oh, this hurts but, me so badly this hurts me so badly I, i'm sorry if you oh it's okay but because <laughs> it's not an uncommon that's not an uncommon thing you know a lot of people feel that way but it, it just compare it to our own situations. If if I want to go get another job, I can go get another job. And I think the, this idea of player loyalty to a uniform and to a city has to go both ways. And if the team, that's the a leagues, big point, Joe, if the teams in the Absolutely. leagues aren't showing that with everything, with the COVID situation, with labor relations, with all of it, with lockouts, I don't know how we, I, I don't know why we expect the players to always make the concession when it's, when they're the ones who have been exploited you know, legitimately. Like for, I, I just want to throw years. in this. I think that's a big point right there. So, like, I understand asking loyalty from players, but if the owners don't have loyalty, which they do not, they'll dump a player in a second. Mm -hmm. So, fair point. But my my right, I, I don't have a problem with LeBron James signing 
one-year player options. I have no problem if, if you don't want to be loyal to a team, if you want to, if, if you as a player have leverage when I think you say, look, I'm James Harden, uh, I, I will be loyal to you. You've got to show me that you're going to build a team around me to be competitive. And if you don't, I'm not re-upping my contract. You have three years left on your contract and the team is still willing to, they still want you. So you shouldn't have signed that long-term deal if, if you had an inclination that I want to join a super team. That's my gripe is that at any point, any, any superstar can get on the phone and Michelle, like you said, call their all-star buddies and say, hey, where do you want to go this year? I mean, look at Paul George did it in OKC. Russell, Russell Westbrook. It's just, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's annoying. All it's these superstars. Fun. It's every so entertaining. Year it makes the offseason so new much buddy. fun. They're picking a new buddy to try to, hey, where can I win a championship? And it's like, what happened to this is hard? I've got to fight through it and like really earn the championship. I just, I don't see it anymore. And it's a turnoff for me. Matt, you sound like people older than us that say that one of the people that here, they got it so easy. Why can't everyone suffer like we did? It's okay if they have it better, if they have more freedom. I, I find this tremendously entertaining that, you know, we get all this off season stuff and this year too, it's because it's compressed into 10 days basically. Oh my God. The timing is outrageous this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got to, I've got to agree. But, uh, and Matt, actually the two examples you gave Paul George and Russell Westbrook, those are two tremendously underachieving players who have not mm -hmm. at all yeah. got into superstar, uh, thing. So I don't know as a, as you a know, tremendous, where they go and who joins them. Yeah. But, that's, that's you know, but, but I think the point is, if there's no loyalty from the owners, the only real loyalty is the fans' loyalty. And the fans' loyalty is either, like we just talked about, either to the player or the team. In my case, I'm to the teams. The Boston teams are my loyalty. So even if they're going to lose Gordon Hayward, um, yeah. you know, hopefully they trade him. But, you know, he was cursed coming to the Celtics, unfortunately. He was a great player when he came, and he's leaving a shadow of, of what he is and hoping to regain it. Um, you know, it's, it's basketball to me, and I think maybe all the sports are like this, it's, it's kind of unpredictable. Like, you know, last year you might have thought in baseball that the Yankees were going to win. They had, on paper, a sensational team, um, and they didn't. Um, you know, so – these super team super teams don't always win. Uh, LeBron's L Lakers did nothing the year before. Last year they won the championship, but the year before that, they were pathetic. Michelle, I have a question. Being a Minnesota fan, what did you do when? Are you a fan of all four home teams? Uh, rank them in order yeah. what's, what's number I, one I mean the Vikings absolutely I've been a lifelong fan I follow the twins but grandpa was a Yankee fan so I learned to be a oh, Yankee okay. fan before okay. I moved to New York oh, no, right. three Yankee fans yeah three oh, Yankee yeah. fans okay. oh. <laughs> so I my, more of my baseball knowledge has been centered around the Yankees lately okay. but I also follow the twins um, I completely checked out of hockey when we sold out to send the North Stars to Dallas way back when and then couldn't care too much about hockey since. 
And I, I haven't been really following too much basketball this year. That it, So, you know, I, I know a little bit of what's been going on in the draft, but, you know, not too much. Again, the whole Kevin Garnett situation kind of <laughs> turned me off to, to even trying to like Minnesota basketball, right. which wasn't there when I grew up. So that was, oh, right, you know, right. we, got, okay. we got the Timberwolves not that long ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were out of the bubble. So your season ended in March basketball, exactly. your basketball season. Ended. Yeah. So my, my question was mainly about hockey. What did you do when the North stars left? And I, I, I know I've got a lot of friends from Minnesota and some of them kept rooting for the North stars and then switched oh, over did, to the yes. wild when, so are you, do you still consider yourself a North stars fan or? I, I, I probably always be a stars fan. Like I have cl- classic stars, you know, jerseys and hats still and <laughs> lots of amazing memories of those games. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there was a time my mother forbade anybody from taking us to the Blackhawks games anymore because <laughs> there were more fights in the stands between the fans of Chicago and Minnesota that happened yeah. on the ice. So yeah, and there was such a gap in there um, before we got a, a team. So you know, I can't really say that I have any emotional connection to the wild whatsoever. Interesting. Cause I, we, really. you know, we've the cities that, that we, you know, our fandom is based on have never lost teams, at least not. I just a whole bunch of old guys from the fifties just shouted at the radios, <laughs> but, you know, not since the giants and the Dodgers left has right. lost a team. And then, right. you know, they just kept accumulating them. The devils and the, you know, the Islanders are mm. relatively new. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it's a, a interesting discussion, you know, for me, I'm old. When I was a kid, the New England Patriots didn't exist. Um, and I went to see one game. It was at Fenway Park, which was the worst place to see a football game ever. It was freezing cold. And uh, my uncle took me. And the only thing I remember was in between every play, turning around, and every man in the audience, it was mostly men, um, was pulling a flask out of their shirt pocket <laughs> and taking a hit of alcohol. You know? yep. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so it, are you the fan of the team? Are you the fan of the player? Um, now, I happen to be pretty much the only big basketball fan among this group. So wait, I just wait, will wait. say, I, I'm, I'm taking quite a bit of offense. Oh, good. To that. <laughs> oh, good. So then we're the we're, we're good. So it's an interesting. Matt's, Matt's that, falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are talking basketball. I'm going to take it. Right. So, but I'll sum it up kind of quick because it's a bizarre thing. It's just so like. Um, Free agency is just starting, but uh, it's only going to last for a little time. Um, the season's going to start uh, December 22nd, so there's going to be very little time off. And, um, you know, there is, as a former basketball player myself, um, there's a lot of wear and tear on an athlete's body. And so they usually have more time to kind of recuperate. So, um, this could be an interesting season. And the thing is, we're moving into two months that are going to be drowning in um, COVID. And so it's, you know, will college football be able to finish? Uh, UMass basketball already lost their opening game. They were going down to a little bubble in Connecticut, and they can't now because of COVID. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, and, and then we can move away from basketball if you guys want, but, um, you know, how, what happens at the start of the season, basketball really has been the only successful um, uh, strategy with, the, with their bubble down in Disney to combat the coronavirus. And so, 
It will be interesting to see. I don't think they could do an entire league in a bubble. Um, and I haven't heard what exactly they're planning to do, but uh, it'll be interesting. I don't think they figured it out exactly. As, as, as it stands now, they're planning to play in their home arenas in front of empty stadiums. I don't think, yeah. I, I think, I don't think there's a team yet that is announced that they're going to allow any crowds of any size, but I, and it seems possible that they could end up playing the whole season in front of empty arenas. But I think as we talked about, I think about, one other thing I heard was that like, say, uh, I don't know, the Timberwolves play the Celtics three games a year or two games a year. They may play those two games right one after the other. Right, right. So that the team that travels to that area mm -hmm. will th stay there for two or three games. Yeah, and I, I think th that's a real good idea. Yeah, that would be very smart. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think and whatever they can do to minimize travel, but it still seems again, and of course, Matt, you're right. They're not going to get the league, the players to agree to play the whole season in a bubble. That's just, they're not going to, going to separate themselves for that long. And that's, that's unreasonable for any, any amount of millions of dollars. You know, one of the big advantages of basketball is that you really, you have 12 players. So you have your whole entourage is maybe 30. Whereas in football, your entourage is 150 and uh, hockey's a little bit bigger too. And baseball is quite a bit bigger too. So that when you have that many more people involved in your quote unquote bubble, there's way more chances for COVID to strike. And I think that's what we're seeing in, in uh, college football. You know, and, and I understand we all know why this is happening, but I this is dumb for the NBA to be starting in December. They could very easily push it back to February, where I think, you know, we're entering a point where the we need to lock down for six more weeks right now. And especially, you know, we all we've all feared the cold weather making it worse again. And it's here comes the cold weather. So I think that our our instinct is to try and do this, but we really need to be back into a a narrowing and that's leave college sports aside. I think, I think it's even irresponsible for the NBA and the NFL too. I mean, and they, you know, we see plenty of problems in NFL locker rooms and you know, the one, one of the coaches just tested positive. So it's, um, it, it's getting worse and we're not reacting as if it's getting worse. We're reacting. Well, as if unfortunately it's, it's going to stay that way for two months. So that's the sad part of what's going on right now. Um, there's not going to be any lockdown. There's not going to be, and there looks like there may not be any financial support for people out of work, which is really at, a tough at, one too. Right. At least until the new Congress is in place. And even then, yeah. if the Republicans keep control of the Senate, they're going to fight whatever Biden and the house try to do. So I, I feel like we're, we're, we're stuck for you know, four more years of the same. I, it was interesting. I had a conversation with a friend of mine old friend, the guy I went to college with the first time when I was a young and stupid. Um, but he's, he, wait a minute. So wait a minute, the first time, and did you complete that first time? Oh, or? oh no. Oh, no. That lasted <laughs> years. Um, uh, lots of uh, drinking and other things that kind of ended that term. And I also, I had a, a lot of undiagnosed medical problems, things like that, a million reasons. And then yeah. took 20 years off, and that's how, Daryl, you and I met when I – resumed college at 40 and came to UMass. But this is a, a friend of mine who was never stupid, still is not. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, uh, I want to try to pr protect his privacy a little bit. He's a medical professional. We'll call him Dr. A. And he came from Iran when he was 17, I think, 16 or 17. And he was, he and I had a long conversation about how 
what the similarities he's seeing and what's happening now to what was happening in Iran in, you know, under Ayatollah Khomeini. And, you know, as, as cynical as I can be about the last four years, I would never have expected that direct a comparison from something that, you know, an era that we look back from our perspective as, as a horror. And to think that that's where we are right now is just, it's, it's mind crushing. So I didn't didn't um, mean to bring everybody down with that. (laughs) So yeah, let's have a little pause and just cry for a while. (laughs) Uh, Now, what else did you want to talk about? What is this LSU business that you guys want to talk about? Because I'm fairly ignorant of this one. So, Oh boy. So I, I, I'll try to be quick in my explanation. (laughs) All right. Michelle will, will clarify anything that's needed after you're done. LSU, and, and we shouldn't make it sound like it's just LSU. I think this is a LSU an issue. is the latest and greatest. Yes, um, where a former running back, Darius Geis, who is in the NFL, um, is accused of um, misconduct, uh, treating women poorly. Um, and basically swept under the rug by the university, the coaching staff, and, and just protecting the player. Um, and, I, I mean, this happens all the time. If, if you look back, we talked about this, Daryl, maybe a year or two ago about Aaron Hernandez down in Florida and how he was protected by Urban Meyer and – it, 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 it's, it is not anything that I am excusing. It's awful behavior. But at the same time, I, I, we're letting these kids down in so many ways. And, and again, it's not to say that Darius Geis or, or anybody else should be treating anybody wrong but we're not doing anything. We're saying as a society, well, he's talented, so let's sweep it under the rug, get him to the NFL, and we shouldn't be surprised that they continue to make poor choices in adulthood. You know, I, I don't know. I, I see it as a big problem. I, I don't think the focus should be on the fact that we're letting the, the, the sexual assaulters down. I think the, the problem is that we're letting the, the victims down. And there are, and you're right, Matt, this, ha- this is happening all across the country. In Baylor, we saw this story come out of Baylor. Um, and actually, we talked about Jessica Luther, who is a friend of mine from Texas. She wrote, um, she broke that story. And we're, we're going to try and talk about this book uh, sometime soon, uh, How to Love Sports When They Don't Love You Back, which is what kind of what the show has become at this point is just trying to justify these things that, that you mentioned earlier, Michelle. Like, how do you reconcile your, your love for a sport and your love for competition with the way these, these actors act, you know, when they're not on the court and when they're not on the field, it's, it's difficult. It really well, is. it's a huge problem in our society because we have made it okay. Mm-hmm. We've made it okay yeah. systemically that if somebody has enough of a talent and we tout them up here, 
we're going to put a bubble around them and not hold them to the same expectations as society. And until there is an across the board shift in this kind of mentality, that there is a zero tolerance policy to things like armed robbery, to things like sexual violence of any kind that is proven. Now, I'm not saying that there is never or will never be false allegations. You know, I mean, here's the, the giant story, right? Who knows what really went on there, but you know, all of these charges were just dropped and, and the lawyer is, is, is in jail. Mm -hmm. But sexual violence is a huge, huge issue. It is being covered up at, any, at every single level. Yep. This is the light the Me Too movement is trying to put. And until every level of professional sports comes under a no tolerance policy, and that goes down to the college level that says, if you are accused of that, you will never play professional sports. Mm -hmm. Until that is the accepted mentality, this will never change in our country. It will never. The Amen. same problem Amen. with racism, the same yeah. problem across the board until there's a zero tolerance policy where no abuse is okay, nothing will truly change. Yeah, there's no accountability. And what's funny, I can yeah. sort of see maybe 10 or 20 years in the future a lawsuit, the scope of like the, the tobacco, remember the tobacco lawsuit yeah. settlement where all of a sudden they were b being directly held accountable for decades of this sort of mistreatment misleading of the of the public and i could see something similar happening in you know 10 20 30 years with the ncaa for failing to protect these kids and again there's you know it, all this stuff so many of these incidents are happening in college and i know the forgiveness is on the pro league side but the i feel like the burden of punishment should fall to the colleges. And that's, like you said, Michelle, they are ignoring this stuff. And well, and across the board, decades. let me, you know, as a woman and somebody who this issue has personally impacted my life, but let me move also to other abuses like we're seeing in Wichita State. Oh, you know, the yeah. verbal abuse, yeah. the physical abuse of other kinds is no more okay at any level of athletics. I mean, you know, so it's not just that I'm taking the, the banner of the sexual abuse yeah. of, of women right. that's out against LSU, but uh, across the board, it has to become unacceptable. No, yeah. when you move, when you move back in time, you know, um, the awareness of, of violence to women was pretty swept under the rug and not talked about at all. It wasn't really an issue, but what was an issue was college, high school and college athletes being promoted to higher levels and they couldn't read so that they mm -hmm. academically mm -hmm. uh, they were being failed they were just useful cattle who could you know produce a lot of high quality milk and that's <laughs> and so they just kept getting moved up the charts and so now it's that's not as big a factor it's still there um but it's it's uh you know your your point michelle is really a great one which is that so sports is part of society, but misbehavior is either going to be called out or not. Yeah, and, and I, Michelle, I totally agree. And, and it's, it, I think as society, I don't think it starts in college. I think we're failing 
it, the, the the athletes at a younger age, even like I'm saying yeah. I'm much younger for sure, but I'm talking about the college age because this is when these people start to become superstars and people start looking at them and young kids are looking to them as role models. And again, it has to start somewhere. You know, you mm -hmm. have this old, white, entitled, rich man um, contingent that's running our country and making horrific decisions except for the top 2% of their buddies. Mm -hmm. And this is always how things have run. In, in uh, Aim the lens of corruption anywhere you'd like and you can find a similar story. But until someone up here, until daddy NFL says no more, one allegation in college, one allegation in high school, you're done, you're never entering the draft Ever. This, okay. it has to start somewhere and then come down so that the generations that are being raised now that are looking to their older brothers that are in high school and in college and in, in the pro leagues and their dads are training these young men that, okay, yes, have these impulses, but let's put them in the right place. And that these type of violent behaviors against one another, against women, they're just unacceptable. This is not going to be a one conversation quick end, just right. like ending racism in this country isn't. This has been accepted for way too many centuries, that, but, but it's got to start let somewhere. Just, let me just ask you guys one question, though. So, because I think this sort of came up in this Antonio Brown stuff last week. Oh, so, um, so <laughs> the thing is, Michelle, is it the allegation or does the person have to be found guilty in other words because people can throw out spurious allegations of so i mean would if somebody let, so let me let, it, let me let me i gotta go interrupt you there daryl that i i know that's a that's a a, a thing it happened that's such a infinitesimally rare thing to happen and so I you would be okay with the allegation i think as ending the career of the player. I think I there would probably the have career. to be some sort of a tiered system, but if you look at what's yeah. happening, the LSU story, there are like nine reports of different players and none of them were even reported. I mean, this is corrupt at the campus police level. They are, I mean, it's illegal. They're getting victims to make reports and then they're never investigating. They're never bringing them to the police. And the, you know, these women at college, they see a badge and they think the campus police are gonna be doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Nothing was ever followed up on or investigated. So at the very least, allegations need to be investigated. Yes. And then right. if they're proven that there's some sort of validity there that Sure, have some sort of step program that if it's not right. validated, but there's evidence, you get them into some sort of therapy, some sort of correct, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not just saying, you know, off with their head at any, right. Um, right. you know, any whisper of misgiving. I'm sure some of them with the right course correction could completely change. You've seen that even at the pro level mm -hmm. with these guys that have had domestic abuse allegations, they've gone to therapy, they've completely shifted their point of view and changed. You know, I wanna believe the best in people that some can, but when there are these allegations, when there are these, these people that have been convicted, no, they shouldn't have another chance. Well, and the best way, the best entity to stop that is the athletic departments and the universities themselves, and they're never going to do that because no, we no, see no, but no. they should. Why? Why not? Now, I mean, you can't really say that because you know before have, have they? They haven't. They have not. Don't they have the possibility of? changing i don't know yeah, well, I, I, it's not it's not just like look at what happened at michigan state 
with Larry Nassar. Yeah. I mean, that was disgusting, vile. Here's what it. Here's what I think, right? I think any allegation, first of all, it needs to be treated with nothing but the utmost sincerity. If, if there's an allegation of any misconduct of any kind, it needs to be investigated and it needs to be taken seriously. I am not suggesting that because of an allegation, you're done, but, you know, suspension, something. Athletes and people of power. Let, let's not even say Larry Nasser was not an athlete. He was a team doctor, but he knew he had power over the, the women that he was treating. Well, not, no, the, the, the women that he was assaulting. Abusing. Abusing. We, any decision has consequences. And that decision of hanging out with a questionable crowd has a consequence. What we've done is we've enabled people, athletes, people of power to feel like their decisions don't have consequences because we haven't held them accountable. We've, so like you're, you're, Michelle, you mentioned it and I'm a New York Giants fan. So I've been following the DeAndre Baker story. Yeah. That was an allegation. He got suspended. He got kicked off the team. Now it comes out that the lawyer who made the, the accusations against DeAndre Baker, is, he's now in jail for extortion or, or, or whatever it is, right? And now DeAndre Baker is back on the, on, in the NFL with the Chiefs. His, his decision, though, of hanging out with this crowd, right, he should have been making better choices. Absolutely. But I'm assuming, and, and, and I, I probably shouldn't do this because I don't know him personally, but for the sake of our conversation, he's probably has, I don't want to say never, but he probably hasn't had to be held accountable to his decisions growing up. So why would he think all of a sudden now I have to pick and choose who I hang out with? Yep. Because we've allowed him, when he was at Ohio State, he probably felt that eh, Coach Meyer's going to, gonna, if I make a bad choice, I'm not going to do anything wrong. But if my crowd does something wrong, it'll get swept under the rug. When he was in high school, you know, I, mm. so when these, the, we're failing and, and we're creating these powers that be for these athletes where they don't have to worry about the consequences of their decisions and who they hang out with. And that's a problem too. Well, I agree. We're, we're definitely fanning those flames of entitlement to all of those people under the umbrella. We have absolutely. And, and so, you know, like allegate, any allegation needs to be handled. It needs to be taken serious. And we need to teach at in high school, in AAU, that your decisions have consequences. We should, if, if we wait until they're professional, done. They're, they're, they're already who they are. They've already developed that sense of entitlement. They've already created that sense of, I can do what I want. And, and for us to think that, well, the minute they get their first million dollar check, they're gonna start making good choices. That's <laughs> not reasonable either, you know? So we need to hold them accountable and, and in high school, that, that's where it starts. You're so impressionable. And that's one of the reasons why, at least the stories I read, I respect a guy like a PJ Fleck, who is not going to risk wins and losses, or he's not going to hold a win mm. over teaching the kids that he coaches about morals and ethics. That's what we need. And, yeah, you know... I, it, it's not, I'm not trying to protect the athlete at all. 
but I also don't, we're not doing us as society any favors by allowing kids to grow up feeling like their decisions don't have consequences. Are, Matt, are those things that you can teach an elementary school kid in, in phys ed Absolutely. class? That, that, that's Absolutely. That's all I try to do. I, 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 that's all I try to do. In my PE class, I've, I've, I have a student teacher now, and I kind of told him, I said, look, I'm not a skill themes teacher. I, it's all about responsibility, leadership, communication, those interpersonal skills. I, I, don't, I don't care if a kid knows how to kick a soccer ball. I don't. That's not my job. I want you to be a contributing member of society. I want you to be able to have relationships with other people. I want you to understand that your choices impact other people. And that's where I think we're missing the, the you know, not us here on this Zoom call, because, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're allowing athletes and, and people of power to just, I mean, it, it, to go back, I mean, it, it look at, um, you know, like guys like uh, um, Bill O'Reilly, Matt Lauer, right? Anybody in power has a sense that my decisions don't have consequences. That is bad. And, and that's, I think, what we need to do. And, and, and that's also, I don't want to uh, marginalize the, the entitled athlete picking and choosing where they go play. But I kind of think it's kind of the same thing, you know. Like you made a decision. Oh, I, I, that's a big I, leap. That's a yeah. big. But before, before, right? But one other point I want to make that's kind of related, because I totally agree with Matt. It's not, it's not the information that you teach the kid. We're both, you know, educators of young kids. It is that you have a mind. You have to use your mind. You have to make decisions. When you make a bad decision, you have to face up to it. And you know that type of thing. And one thing I always found interesting is there was this kind of movement for a long time that competition is bad. You know, as in education, you're not supposed to have people compete against each other. And I totally disagree with that. I think it's totally fine. What's what's important is that you compete against somebody and then they win and you say, nice game. I'll try to get you next time, but, but you won. Congratulations. You know, it's how you handle losing and getting used to losing because you know, a, a good record is you win 52% of your games. Well, that means you lose almost half your games and you're still making the playoffs in that kind of environment. So you've got to be, I think we need to teach kids how to be um, good losers and then personal responsibility, which I think is sort of connected with the, our whole issue that we've been bringing up. Well, and I think the, the, the de-emphasis on winning and losing so much, I think is partly we can sort of shift some of the blame from that for that onto what Michelle mentioned with the abusive coaches, which are, happens at all levels. I mean, I, I played for a hole coaches in little league. I played for a great kind man in little league as well, but I, and I had had them all through high school. <laughs> the one, one co coach I was related to in high school was a giant jerk to everyone. <laughs> My my second college football coach used to grab my face mask and pull it when I did something wrong. Would come into the huddle and grab my face mask and jerk it around. And just the things we see with Greg Greg Marshall, this guy from Wichita State. There's a a women's basketball coach at Florida Gulf Coast University who has basically has an eating disorder and has managed to 
in, projected on his players, makes them all lose incredible amounts of weight, uh, holds them to ridiculous weight standards. And it's a, that's actually a story I've been working on for a really long time because there was a, a woman who played at UMass who had played right. there previously. And she, she, had, she and I had like a three hour conversation about this. And it's a story that I've really honestly been working on for seven or eight years. The problem is I can't get enough people to go on the record. And I will say this, in all the what's what's going to help is pressure and it's going to be have to be from the media not because the universities aren't applying it but i've made a dozen freedom of information records requests and they send back a ridiculous estimate of the time it's going to take them to to distribute some emails and that's how organizations prevent these actually information from being released they tell you it's going to cost thirty thousand dollars to get these reports and i don't you know no no organization that i'm going to write for is going to contribute thirty thousand dollars to this you don't have thirty thousand dollars hanging around joe (laughs) i do i just uh i just sold my piece of crap 30 year old car and yeah but so i think you know the pressure has to come from outside and i have been on this athletic department i've been trying to get interviews with the coach and athletic director on and off for seven years and over the last three or four years, I noticed this program always had ridiculous turnover. Two or three girls would quit the team every year after just a year in the program. And I talked to a dozen pe- girls who played for him, and two of them loved him, 10 of them hated him. And what I've seen there, at least in the last few years, is that turnover has, is almost gone. I think they've lost one player not to graduation in the last three seasons. So I don't know if any pressure that I or others may have been applying, you know, even though we didn't actually get, get our stories told at least got to them enough to change some of these things. I can't get any players who've played for him recently to talk to me. So I don't, I can't verify any of that, but so I don't know if he's changed his ways, but what I'm saying is that that's what it's going to take is pressure from the outside because the universities and the NCA are not going to do it. Now, listen, we're down to our last 10 minutes. Um, I'm curious about this New York Giants business, but I also want to read some wonderful, meaningless statistics um, because I, I was praising Lamar Jackson uh, last week. Before he lost. Um, so, yes. And so here is, uh, here is a statistic about him. He is 0-6 when his team is behind 20-10. to 10. <laughs> like what a meaningless stupid thing and here's another meaningless. yeah i don't know if it's me it's it's arbitrary but i don't 20 know 20 to 10 what if he was behind 21 to it, 10 you know I, I believe i don't know what where you're he is he has never won a game when he's been trailing by 10 by points, 10 points yeah i think it's not that specific i don't know I if it's it was, the 20 to 10 right thing. yeah okay he's never and then won in that same regard the rams coach mcveigh is 31 and oh when he's up at halftime that's a nice one. That's not meaningless. <laughs> no, that one's not meaningless. But here's a meaningless one. 46 to 23 was the first score ever in the NFL of that the, that score. <laughs> oh, interesting. The first one ever in the history of the NFL. Ever. Wow. And then one other thing I'd like to mention is that Theo Epstein re- resigned yeah. from the um, uh, Cubs. He's only like 47. And he is, he's a Hall of Famer in the sense that he took the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs and brought World Series champions to both teams, um, something that had never happened, basically, for 100 mm-hmm. years. So 
All right. What about the Giants? What, since there's a couple of Giants fans here, what, why are they in the news? Well, what, do you want? Are we are we moving past DeAndre Baker and getting into the little? Uh, Is it all DeAndre in the ba- Baker? With the coaching staff? <laughs> I thought there was some sort of r- wrestling thing. Or- so here's a story broke earlier in the week that um, Joe Judge had fired his offensive line coach. Uh, which is true. He fired Mark Colombo. And then the rumors started to fly that uh, they had gotten into a fist fight and Colombo beat him up. So Joe Judge fired him. <laughs> now that, that's just rumor. The, the story so, does that I, ju- so does Judge have a black eye when he appears on No, screen? just me. Do you guys see it? Can you see it? <laughs> <laughs> Who beat you up? What, what did you say? My dog, actually. Oh, <laughs> I went to pick up a tennis ball. I was throwing with him outside the other day, and he got excited. He jumped up, and he caught me good right under my eye. Yeah, I've taken headbutts from lab- Labrador, giant Labrador heads before. They're like, oh, yeah. nuts. Michelle, do you have anything to add on this Giants business? Have you heard any inside? I, no, I, well, I knew all the, the stories about the coaching change um, and that Judge was, you know, supposedly the one responsible for, you know, getting the offensive line to be playing better. But I had actually heard, hadn't heard any of these rumors about the um, <laughs> the fist fight. Maybe it's because I'm in mass and I'm not no. local in New York right now. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, like I said, my brother and I, we all, pretty much all day, we're just sending Giants articles yeah. back and forth. <laughs> other so the the what basically what happened was joe judge wanted to bring in a a consultant to help with the offensive line uh mark colombo took that personal it they got into a heated argument apparently uh mark colombo used a word to describe joe judge that i'm not going to say <laughs> over there uh, it's a pretty disgusting word and Joe Judge fired him. I'll say this, going back to coaches trying to do things the right way, Joe Judge might have a little bit of, a little bit of an old school approach, a Bill Belichick. He's, he's Bill Belichick and Nick Saban were his mentors. Right. So go figure. <laughs> um, but he appears to be changing culture in that locker room and instilling a winning attitude winning the right way and and the stories that i read were joe judge is not going to stand for somebody using that language to call hey look he's the boss he's the head coach and uh you you're gonna talk to me that way that's not how we're gonna do things around here well you're fired and so you know go ahead joe i would say that's it's it's not the coaching every coaching room i've ever been in has had that in it. I mean, there are screaming arguments. I mean, you're talking about a, usually a very testosterone environment where there's it's kind of manufactured pressure, but a lot of activity, a lot of, and there's a lot of conflict. You put seven people on a coaching staff all trying to sort of get their own thing done. I, I coached a few years of high school football, including two years in California with my cousin, John, who I love as much as anyone in the world. He's been like a brother to me my entire life. And there were a dozen times in two years where either I almost quit or he almost fired me. And we love each other as much as 
two human beings can. And so this, it's, it's, it's only natural for those kind of environments. And you guys know this. My dad was a high school and college coach for decades. And I, I have been witness to so many coaching room arguments and smashed clipboards and thrown water bottles. It's, it's just part of it. I'm not saying it's good and it's probably that sort of toxicity that leads to some of these other problems we're talking about this abuse of players and this sort of mentality that it's all that anything is justified. If you're working towards this goal of trying to win a football game and it all, it all um, does seem silly. So it, I, it, just as we're getting close to the end here, I want to tell a little story about betting. So many years ago, I used to bet with my brother-in-law. He was down in Florida and he knew a bookie. And so every Saturday morning, he, he would take our bets to the bookies. We would start on college football and we, you know, Alabama's going to beat McNeese state by 35. And so, you know, it was pretty easy to make some money in the beginning and get ahead. But then we'd always get greedy and we'd bet on the pros and we'd bet on this three game business. And so, uh, you know, and then I stopped, but recently they've started up again, my brother-in-law's and they're just doing $25. So it's not like it's a, you know, I'm not going to lose my uh, car over this one. But um, so I finally did my first trifecta last week. And, uh, and so, uh, and also the reason I stopped betting before was, you know, we were breaking even, but it changed the way I looked at the games. I wasn't having as much fun being a fan anymore. So anyway, last week I made my first three person bet in their group and I picked the giants to win and they did. And I picked the dolphins to win and they did. And my third team was Cleveland and they were, a, I think a three point favorite when I was making the bet. Well, it turned out at the end, it was four and a half points. And so anyway, if you saw the end of the, the Cleveland yeah. game, uh, Chubb, it breaks away on a long touchdown. And, you know, there's not much time left in the game. It's 10-7. So this would have put the game out of reach, you know, for the other team. But he does what was, in retrospect, a great play. He ran out of bounds on the one instead of scoring. It was not a great play, Daryl. I lost my fantasy football game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lost my bet, too. I lost that's my bet on that. And that's, like, why, that's why I hate betting so much. Because, you know, it's just like, you know. Well, it's funny because sometimes it can actually create interest in a game that you may not otherwise be interested in. But yeah, it does sort of, and even fantasy football can conflict with your fandom sometimes. Right. You start a guy who's your defensive linebacker football? sacks your quarterback. Right. Well, <laughs> Michelle, I, do you do a fantasy football? Yes. Okay, Joe, do you? <laughs> I usually do. I did not this year because my but we had a long-term league with a, a group of friends that kind of yeah. fell apart and didn't do that this year. I just didn't feel Joe, like – uh, Matt, you usually do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it kills me <laughs> every year. <laughs> Michelle, every have you year. ever had success? Has your fantasy team ever done well? I have a couple championships under my belt. Awesome. Awesome. I had awesome. a I had a perfect team back when um, Randy Moss was a rookie oh. and no one knew about him and I got I had Randy Moss and Terrell Owens who, oh. or Terrell Dave, no Terrell Davis who ran for two thousand yards yeah. that year yeah. those two guys yeah. they just carried me. It would not happen right. again. I've had but a listen. few successful years, but it drives me nuts. Yeah, my actual yeah. football life and my fantasy football life are being driven by Dalvin Cook this year. <laughs> All my hopes are yeah. on Dalvin. <laughs> I, I can I can tell you this: not playing is not changed my 
my absorption of the NFL this year. I, it's really not changed the way I look at it. So maybe, maybe try it for a year. I mean, and our, and finally, um, sort of last question, um, are you, cause I am, are you beginning to get a little bit of release and enjoyment from sports in these tough times? I think we need to save that for another episode. We got only got a minute left. Uh, Michelle, answer. are you getting any release from watching well, sports? No, I, I kind of mentioned this point when I when I first spoke. It's very, you know, it's a very hit and miss thing with me. I feel almost guilty enjoying it because I, I think it's socially and morally irresponsible that any sports are being played right now. I mean, I know they make a lot of money, but why are we putting them and their families at risk by any exposure? I mean, I, I think we're close to the time where Again, everything has to shut down for the betterment of everything. We are, we're sort of back to where we were nine months ago, and it's worse. Except we're much worse off. Yeah, yeah. We're at way yeah. higher levels than we were. And no health. Yeah, yeah I actually, I have a, uh, a sister-in-law who works at Bay State, and, and she just said numbers are where they were in May, but continuing to trend up, whereas in May, they were coming back down, and, and that is a little frightening. Thanks a lot for listening to Sports Plus with Baker, Big D, uh, Joe, and special guest, Michelle. Michelle, you were rocking today. Thanks for having yeah, me, guys. Thank you, Michelle. You know, Michelle, it's really funny because we used to, like Matt and I started this show, we used to plan a lot. Yeah. You know, we haven't planned for, <laughs> for two months. I have no idea. Like, I did not know anything about the LSU or the Giants story at all it was really interesting hearing about it you know because like there's only so much time you can do like right now yeah like i'm getting school is just wearing me out being a remote teacher yeah, yeah. it's just it's awful and so i i barely barely watch anything so yeah joe you watched uh the social oh. dilemma huh oh yeah oh so, well, and what's yeah. that stuff Oh, so, well, so... Michelle, okay. have you seen this I one? I haven't seen it yet. Board? No, I've heard it's good, though. No, I haven't either. Okay, Watch Matt it. Matt raved about it. I thought it was the weirdest fucking thing. What was with... <laughs> first of all, the, the the illustration, the family whole thing, the, the like... It was like a docudrama the, that added nothing. It was a 30 yeah. movie. It added nothing. They just restated what, what you just told me. I don't need to hear it again from an actor. It was dumb. It was dumb. What, he, what was even dumber was the three dudes in the server room or whatever the fuck that was. That was weird, yeah. That was even dumber. I mean, again, like, I understand we have to dumb everything down and teach teach at a third grade level to 18-year-olds now, but it's it, it was just, it was just so kind of absurd and insulting, and it really kind of interfered from the core message of the movie, which could have carried 90 minutes by itself. Like I think I agree that that stuff that stuff was weird with with the uh, trying to explain what's inside your phone that was that was weird yeah it just like doesn't need to be personified in human form for us to understand it I mean maybe again maybe maybe we're just too dumb Michelle I'm curious I, I I'm curious to see you have, have to watch it and tell yeah, us what you I'm, think if, I'm, you, I'm, if you feel you feel like your insul- your intelligence was insulted or or. What did you think, though, Joe, of what is going on with your social media and, you know, and you know, how it's tracking you and, and I, making you think what you want to think? I think I, it wasn't I, I will say there wasn't a whole lot in there that I didn't already suspect. And mm-hmm. I know what the technology is capable of doing. What I would have liked to see more of was the 
sort of investigation into the moral character of the companies that are doing this. And it's, they just sort of ignored the fact that there were entities that were controlling this. They told us what was happening, but other than a few little like interview clips, we didn't really get any, let's, let's go ask Facebook. Let's go ask Twitter. Let's go ask Instagram. And that's where I feel like they could have could, could, could have gotten rid of all of the dramatization scenes and the three dudes in the server room and done a lot more of that. I feel like it would have been all right. Well, Matt, Michelle and I will check it out too, and we'll we'll let you know. Michelle, okay. thanks a lot. I hope you'll come back again. Oh, I love yeah, you. please do. It was that a lot was of fun awesome. having so much. you. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Have a great week.